I'm Mary Schuster, and this is RamQuest Pandemic Practices Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another special edition of the podcast. The 11th Annual Voice of the Title Agent Survey has been released, so we wanted to bring Mark Lowry from October Research back to discuss the sentiments, the good, the bad, and the ugly, as reported by title agents across the nation. Mark and I discuss where opportunities lie in the next 12 months, as well as some potential hazards on the horizon. We look at the state of mergers and acquisitions. We talk through changes with respect to marketing directly to consumers. We covered some things to think about with possible E&O policy coverage changes and a lot more. We know you've been heads down just trying to keep up with the business that you already have. And we know you felt pretty isolated, not being able to gather together and talk business with industry peers at conferences or annual conventions. And you know, that's part of why we started the podcast, to give you a quick and easy way to hear what's going on in the world outside of your crazy, busy, how do we just get through today bubble. So enjoy listening to what your fellow agents are reporting with respect to many different topics that you may or may not have had time to think much about lately. The links to reach Mark or download the free copy of the survey are included in today's show notes. And of course, you can always reach out to us from there too. For now, enjoy our overview of a well-done and in-depth survey comprised of folks just like you. Hi, Mark, and welcome to Pandemic Practices. I'm super excited to talk with you about the annual voice of the title agent survey. For those listeners that we have that may not yet be familiar with it, tell us a little bit about your methodology for this, who whose opinions go in, who makes up the questions. Just tell us how it all works, would you? Sure. We send it out um, in February, and it usually stays out there for about 30 days before we close it. This year, there were about 200 respondents or so. And for the most part, the questions stay the same because that way we can track our responses over time to see. Uh, Occasionally, we'll add a different question that will be relevant because of something that's going on. But that way, we're able to track over time. Uh, And this is the 11th year. That's great. Well, let's dive down in here and talk about some of the things that you found by virtue of the survey. I'm guessing there were both some anticipated and some unanticipated. So, What's sort of the first thing that jumped out at you from reading these results? The first thing that jumped out at me, although I wouldn't call it a surprise, was the level of people who said that 2020 was a better year. Uh, Almost 90% of our respondents said that it was either a little better or significantly better. Now, not a great surprise because we we know this has been a very good year and the title industry's fortunes kind of mirror that of the real estate industry in general. And this has been a very good year. One thing that was uh, a little bit more surprising was when we got to the concerns and the concerns while they fell into a couple of different levels, the largest two, one was uh, cybersecurity and then the other was economy. So and I think that falls under the heading of what goes up is going to come down eventually. And so perhaps that explains that. Isn't it interesting that in such an unusual year with COVID and, and all those things for them to categorize that as their business has improved? So I'm assuming that means more than just from a revenue perspective. I think it probably means they showed each other a lot of chutzpah that maybe they didn't know they had. I'm assuming they have some different, hopefully deeper relationships with some of their, their co-stakeholders. 
but certainly revenues are well up for most people. What are they predicting for the year to come with regard to business growth, revenues, those sorts of things? Uh, They were saying for this year, nearly seven out of 10 expect some growth, which is significant. It will be interesting to see if that proves itself out because while economists are saying that they're expecting this good economy to continue, they're not expecting it to be as good as uh, 2020 was because there'll be less refinances, as I said. But the way things are going now, that is with the housing supply being short, houses are selling pretty rapidly. And I read something today or as expensively as they've ever sold for. So for now, things are going really well. Good, good. Well, with a changing market, obviously comes some new opportunities. What did the agents that you surveyed rank in their best opportunities for the next few months? Interestingly enough, almost 40% said technology, which not quite sure what they were getting at there. Maybe it means with the accelerated adoption of technology that it will bring more things their way. 25% said through acquisition. 34% said through expansion, so just opening additional offices uh, and that sort of thing. So it sounds like they're poising for anticipated growth. It's interesting because it's not like acquisitions ever seem to slow down, even though they're not always the large ones that we're talking about. Our audience seems to be an older audience, that is the uh, title agents. And so a lot are getting to that point where they might be looking to sell. The time is good for those looking to do that right now, which is strange because remember in uh, 2008, when we had problems, it wasn't a great time to sell. Good time to be taken over, unfortunately. But this crisis pandemic is a little bit different because thus far, the impacts on the market have been positive Yeah, thus far. Well, and not only have the impacts been positive on the market thus far, and I hear your huge caveat in there, and I share it, but but also, you know, I feel like this pandemic has brought into focus for a lot of people, life's too short for this, or what what am I doing? And, you know, in, in the title and settlement industry, we say that often. Actually, what we often say is, I'm too old for this. But I feel like at this point, in time, some people really, really got that. And so while they might have been early on the fence about a career change or an early retirement, I think that this is called the question in a different way for some, at least owners and maybe some more seasoned or senior management folks. Are you hearing any of that on the wind? I think it was a sort of uh, hurry up and wait. You know, I may be too old for this, but right now I have too much business to stop. While these refinances are coming in, I can soldier on for a little bit longer. Make A while the sun shines. We'll revisit it again next year and see what happens. It's just never a good time to get out, is there? It's either it's too slow to sell or it's too busy to leave. Yeah, most are going to try to ride out this upswing as long as they can, just to see how long that lasts. I mean, we know that things will change eventually. As I said, what goes up will come down eventually, but when will it come down? The conditions have made for a just a very good year for the industry. One of the best years it's ever had for different reasons. There weren't as many originations per se, mm-hmm. uh, but the refinances were as high as they've ever been. Well, for those who aren't yet contemplating pulling the parachute and getting out, you mentioned a little bit ago some of the things they're concerned about, and you mentioned the economy and cyber. 
What else are those that are hanging around interested in or concerned about it? One of the things that I thought was quite interesting is this results showed over half are concerned about appropriate staffing. It's hard to find qualified people or what are you hearing on that? That is one of the things that we do here with the industry graying and there just doesn't seem to be a lot of infusion of new blood. This is one of those industries and we see it a lot where we do so many reports about one person jumping from this company to the other company. And it seems like a lot of the recruitment is from each other and not new people. I think that's a concern. And folks like Alta have taken a real good look at this and they're trying to give people more tools to hire people. I think sometimes the industry, and it's not just our industry, we fall into that trap of experience. And that is, if you haven't done said job for five years, you don't have experience. But that doesn't mean that you don't have the skills that you need to do that job. And so it's a different way of having to think about that is what are the skills that I need? Because maybe I can find those skills in something else. And we kind of do ourselves a uh, disservice when we look at it the other way, but it's human nature. It's easy to say, well, this person has done this for five years, as opposed to saying, I may have to do a little bit of training on this end with this person, but they have the skills and the aptitude to do it. That is one of the things that we did here, just about replacements and having enough staff and that sort of thing. As we said, 2020 was just an incredibly busy year. I found people who sometimes I could easily get a hold of, they just didn't have time. It was like, I'm, I'm just too busy right now. Talk to me in six weeks when, <laughs> you know, when this thing dies down. And a lot of that lasted uh, throughout the year. Mark, you mentioned acquisition activity, and it looks like based on your survey, somewhere between one in five, one in six companies have been involved in some sort of merger, acquisition, or business sale in the past year. Was that a number that surprised you? Do you think that will sort of continue at the same pace or change? What are your impressions of that? Well, uh, one of the questions, as you mentioned, we asked was, have you uh, merged in the last year? 82% said no, about 17% said they had. I think it's slowed down a little bit. That is the acquisitions, and we're certainly not seeing the huge ones, but there's still some people in that space that are just tremendously active. You know, Nightberry comes to mind and some other folks who are just really expanding, especially in areas like Florida, where there's, there's been a lot of expansion there, a lot of acquisitions there. It's slowing down for now, but I think that's the buyer's thing. That is, if you were going to buy a title agency, this probably wouldn't be the best time to buy because it's going to be valued as high as it would ever be. And so maybe you wait a little bit, then you buy the title agency. I don't think we will ever stop seeing that consolidation. I mean, it's not as much as it was in 2008 per se, but the consolidation, especially regionally, of seeing offices, more places with more offices as opposed to the one shop person, although we do see still see a lot of that also. Well, I'm super excited to talk about this next one because I don't think I have ever seen numbers this high. The question for the title and settlement agent was, do you market to consumers? And while 41% said no, 48% said yes, and another 11% said not yet, but will soon. So if you combine not yet, but will soon and yes, 
were at over 50% of title company respondents that said they are marketing direct to consumers. I'm going to give you the floor 100% on this. Go. It's encouraging because the MO has always been, you just sort of wait and the referrals came in and you had either you're affiliated, in which case it's not a big issue, or got a relationship with realtors. And so you're getting most of your business through realtors, which is still the case. I think you proceed at your own peril if you are only looking at that model. We did a report last year on iBuyers. Now, they're not a tremendously large percentage of the market, but who knows what they'll be 10 years from now. There are also other sources of referrals that are out there. Now, one that isn't talked about a lot is, uh, believe it or not, about 8% of people nationally sell by owner. They still need title. They still need those things. And so your outreach to them is a little bit different because realtors don't really like to talk about that. And, <laughs> and they're certainly not going to encourage you to do that. But they're going to close someplace. They're going to get title insurance too. And so that's business. And 8% across the board is a lot of business. But you're right in terms of title agents kind of always had a way of doing things. That progression has always been, you got the business from the realtor. And so your marketing efforts were directly to the realtor. However, with the change in Washington at the CFPB, I think there's going to be a little bit more scrutiny to marketing servicing agreements that are involving realtors. That doesn't necessarily mean that you should avoid them. It just means that you really have to do your due diligence if you don't want to attract attention that you don't want to have. Another thing I was surprised to read in the report was the market is reporting seeing fewer lender contract changes, whether that be master contract or closing instructions. I would have anticipated that agents would have seen several iterations of that throughout the pandemic, but some people said they didn't yet see much from the lender with regard to changing those contracts or lender instructions, closing instructions. Help us understand a little bit of what What's going on behind the scenes there, would you? I think that also falls into the category of we were extremely busy. And so some of that just will take a back seat. I think in uh, previous years, we saw a little bit more due diligence involving, say, third party service providers and things like that. As everybody was concerned, not that they aren't still concerned about data security and privacy, but I just think that with the volumes that lenders were having, that some of that took a back seat. But also, there had been a really good job done before on vetting things. And so they were in a better position than they were. A lot of folks weren't really happy with some of the changes that came out of the Great Recession. But most will admit that a lot of those changes were really beneficial. Folks were screaming about tread and that sort of thing. You don't hear too much about that anymore because uh, people made the adjustments. You know, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the next year or two, whether we see more guidance coming from Washington on that sort of thing. I think the folks in the industry are hoping that the guidance comes in some other areas. For example, what happens when we are out of this pandemic? I mean, other than we're all very happy about being out of it, but what happens with things like Vron? Will those temporary orders, will they expire? And what will happen there? Will there be some sort of impetus to put some sort of federal things in place? I know a lot want that, but I don't know if that's going to happen. That's a fair diagnosis there. I think a lot of people do want that to happen. A lot of people don't want that to happen. Yeah. But the degree that it even can happen in this first year, I think, is probably pretty slim. 
We'll see. Right. We'll see. What we should never forget is a lot of people in this industry are making a ton of money doing things the way that they've always done it. And they have a interest in not changing anything. They figured out how to make it work. Just nobody breathe. Nobody touch it. Leave it alone. The change will come, one, from pressure from the lender and two, from pressure from the consumer. When those two things meet, then change will happen because you will have no choice. You either change or things will pass you by. It also is a lot different in the attorney-led states. They're very, very, very resistant to changing anything. We've touched on security a little bit, but I'd like to kind of zero in on that with regard to especially escrow accounts security. So let's talk a little bit about what agent said about wire fraud, data security, escrow fund security. What do they report about that? What we hear a lot in especially wire fraud is that there's a prevalent feeling that too much of the responsibility is placed on the title agent or the title agency and that there has to be a little bit more cooperation with the realtor and that the realtors will have to kind of abandon some of the ways that they have done business. It's so easy to do business through email. It isn't necessarily the best way of doing it anymore. And so I think their complaint is that they're doing a lot in many cases, but until they get more cooperation from the realtor, that that's going to be a problem. There also is sort of the kind of sad realization that the people who do these sort of things they're working 24-7 to find ways to scam folks, and they only have to succeed on a very small percentage of times to make it worth their while. And so there are a lot of resources out there, and there are things that are available to minimize this risk. Ulta does a lot of education in this area in terms of minimizing the risk. And so that is one concern. In terms of data privacy, I think there's a lot of anxiousness about that. Because again, this is something where a lot is put on the title agent there and they want solutions that can be tailored to the size of the business in some cases. With a lot of the states becoming a little bit more aggressive in getting into this area, whether it be New York or California or Pennsylvania, the concern is not that they're trying to make things safer for the consumer. I think everybody applauds that. But the concern is that the solutions are solutions that don't bankrupt the small title agent. It's certainly, ironically, a larger challenge for a smaller agent, unless they are in some sort of cooperative hosting center where their stuff's partitioned off and the hosting center understands the supremacy of privacy in this data. They can, even a medium-sized agent can go broke today trying to keep the security standards up to the level that we know about today. And then to your earlier point, they're going to come up with something new tomorrow. So the bar just keeps going up and up and up. And uh, to try to keep up with it, that's taking out a lot of a small profit margin for a number of our agents. What they have to be aware of is a lot of these problems are not covered in the standard E&O policy. You have to be really uh, diligent about, you know, what am I covered for and that sort of thing. We did a story recently. She was a president of title operations for an agency in Florida. The consumer involved got scammed and unfortunately wired $130,000 to the scammers. This woman was able to actually jump on this, get the FBI involved and do it soon enough that they were able to actually freeze the funds and recover the money. That's a good story, but most of the stories don't end that way. 
by time the consumer even knows that something wrong, the money's in Russia, the money's in Nigeria. It's someplace else by that time. And it happens so often that the FBI even puts a priority limit on it. If it's under a certain amount of money, they don't even have time to pursue it because they have so much. I think if you're in this business, you have to do everything you can do that you can do to stop this. Because the bottom line is, I don't think there's anything more damaging that can happen to your business than to have this publicity that somebody that you were dealing with got scammed out of money. It may not even be your fault, but it just doesn't foster the sort of confidence that you need to go forward in the, in the business. It can be a death nail for your agency. That's 100% right. And I was reading just this week, actually, about some thoughts that some of our folks in Washington are having about reducing the opportunity for wire fraud, including making it more difficult to have wires originating from the U.S. get transported overseas. That's obviously worth looking into, and I'm looking forward to see what things come about on this. Although the one that, and this is where our banking listeners tend to yell at me, but the one that just seems obvious from a kind of layperson's point of view would be to have payee matching for wires. But I think Director Chopra has said that's a non-starter with him and then therefore a non-starter for the CFPB. So we'll see. I think the encouraging thing on that track is this time two years ago, we're lobbying on Capitol Hill and not one representative that we spoke to knew that wire fraud was a thing with regard to real estate transactions. And now many of them are very conversant in it and looking for ways to try to help shore it up. So raising that awareness has been a good first step. But uh, what do you think about how far out we might be from seeing anything that can meaningfully slow down the successful fraud attempts? Legislative wise, I think that we're not very close to anything, but that doesn't mean that there aren't things that we can do individually. And a lot of the things have to be uh, consumer driven also. I think of two examples. One is I do a lot of my banking online. Anytime I try to do anything to get into it, there's a second factor off. The bank will send me a code to say, is this you? And if this is really you, enter that code and you can go on. I got an email once uh, in my Outlook and it was someone trying to trick me into giving my information so they could get into my Outlook. But I also had that on my Outlook. So it came up and it said, unless you have this code, and while those things slowed the process down, they really block a lot of the people who have bad intentions. And so the more we can do, the better that. Also, there are companies like Zocom that have really effective apps dealing with escrow money and things like that, that will really reduce the risk. Yeah, absolutely. As you mentioned before, all of these other things now need to be addressed on an ENO policy. That's driving some ENO policy costs up. It looks like far and away a majority of your respondents said that they are paying more for their ENO coverage than they were a year ago. Is that because of these sorts of things being more prevalent out there? I think so. Although the standard ENO policy it has some coverage for this cyber fraud, but a very low threshold. And so as you increase that threshold, yes, that cost is going to go up. No pandemic practices episode could be complete without talking about digital closings. Now I want to move to some of the quotes that some of your responders said because they tickle me. Maybe because they're so accurate. Agents say they are prepared for e-closings, but other stakeholders are not. Here's some quotes. We are ready and capable, but lenders are not. We just need lenders to get there. We have a platform ready for use, but have not seen a lot of activity in this area. 
It has to be great to read some of these comments that you guys get. This last one was cute. I'm set up, but the software is so awful that I stopped using it. We will not mention. <laughs> we, we, we won't mention any. Uh... That may or may not have been. But I, I just think it's interesting. Mark, forgive me, because this has been a theme, I think, in almost every episode that we've done this season. I don't know if the lenders don't know how ready our industry is. We're ready to just catch the ball. We're ready. We've got our mitt. We've got everything. I don't know if the lenders just don't realize it, haven't had time to care, haven't just had that demand push. And I, it's probably a lot of those things. But I just wanted to pull those quotes out for anybody listening that feels a little bit like Charlie Brown with Lucy's football of, hey, we got all ready for this. And everybody feels in your shoes. Everybody knows they say that it's coming, but they're just waiting for sort of everybody to get in the picture. Do you feel like it's a time for agents to talk in their marketplace about their preparedness or just sort of hang back and wait and see how the demand curve goes? What do you think, Mark? I think it will be driven by the demand curve. But we also found out that 45 percent of the respondents said that they did more e-closings in 2020 than they did the previous year. Now, we know that that was pandemic driven. They had no choice. We hear that very often that that the lender is the holdup. But the other thing that we hear is that, so you decide that your agency, you want to be equipped that you can do e-closing. What software do you get? And does the software you get work with every lender that you're going to uh, use? And so I think when that technology bridge is closed, and I have no doubt it will be closed, you're going to see even more because we have some people in our industry that technology-wise that are really at the forefront of doing some great things. They're not involved in this, so I'll use them as an example. But you know, I marvel at what State's title is doing in terms of machine learning and AI. They're just moving full steam ahead. And then there's many, many, many others who are doing this. And so whenever I think that there is a profit motive there, I mean, can you imagine the person that that come up with this system that is pretty much going to be usable with anybody? Uh, Oh, there's a huge profit in that. And so I think as we move toward that, and I think we will think about it for a second, you know, we go on to our banks and we can push a, a few buttons. We can pay bills. We can send money to other banks. We can do pretty much anything. It's almost a expectation, but to think that, well, you can e-close, but you can only e-close with this bank or this bank or or this lender or this lender, that's not going to last for long. At some point, the the technology is going to bridge that. And once that happens, I think we're going to see just a great acceleration there. Although getting back to the survey, there seem to be less folks this year who were saying, I'm never going to do this. I don't want to do this. Drag me away kicking and screaming when I do the e-close, which I don't understand. It's almost like saying, I'm never going to use that ATM. You know what? I need to use the ATM. The bank's closed <laughs> and I need some money. So I'm going to the ATM. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, and to your point, I think that sentiment is accurate for most people who aren't going to rush to something because of its Nuevo value. But the second they need it, <laughs> and it's the only way to get what they need, in this case, the ATM to get the cash, boom, then it's, well, how did I ever live without it? And as younger people come into the industry, uh, and as the consumer expectation changes, it will happen. A couple of years ago, I was visiting, I think it was Montgomery, Alabama, and I was going along the Civil Rights Trail, visiting some of those sites. I was walking from one place to another with my wife and two of my sons. I wasn't quite clear which way I was going. And at some point, one of my sons said to me, you do know you have a computer in your hand. Right. And and, and he was right. <laughs> I was struggling trying to figure something out that I could push a button and it directed me directly to where I was going. 
technology, for the most part, it helps us. And you know, while there may be some growing pains in, in understanding it, I'm not going to wait on the corner to the cab drive by. I'm going to use my Uber app. Right. And I reserve the right to cuss at my technology when it doesn't work properly, because once I can become dependent on it and then the power's out, now I'm mad. But that's a luxury problem. It's fine. It's helped me the other 99.9% of the time. So Right. Yeah. So I think that the technology will kind of drag us all along slowly till, again, the impetus, uh, this pandemic, for example, you weren't going to say, I'm not going to do business because I can't do it my own way. You know, I'm going to do business. We saw acceleration of adoption of run and a lot of other things and hybrid sort of things like we had never seen before. And I think that's always going to be the case. The technology, things will happen that will just force us that say this is a better, more efficient way of doing it. And it's a more cost effective way of doing it also. One of the other things you always ask the agents are about their relationships with their underwriters. And certainly, again, it's been a busy year for everybody on a lot of fronts. To your point, it's been hard for underwriters to even have conversations with their agents a lot of times because the agents are just so busy trying to service the business that's coming in the door. Talk a little bit, if you would, about the results from the questions you asked some of the agents about their underwriting relationships. You know, this for last several years has been pretty constant, and that is that most will work with several different underwriters because they will find that certain deals are easier to get underwritten through certain underwriters. And so rarely do you hear one that said, I will only work with this underwriter. Usually it's a hodgepodge of got a couple because there are just some that will work better with regional, some that will work better with nationals. They're more tied to whoever can get it done than to a particular name. I, I know that people who are going to hear this are going to be screaming, don't say that, but they're tied to getting the deal done. And they will tell you in a second, depending on the type of the deal, whether it's commercial, whether it's residential, whatever factors involved, there are ones that they just know it will work easier with. And then there's some deals that they just have to have the large players to get done. Good. All right. Well, so were there any other results that you're publishing in the survey that you wanted to be sure to call people's attention to? Yes. The biggest one is that almost 60% of uh, the respondents said that they thought the title industry is in better shape today than it was when they got in. And that's nothing to shy away from when you have that many folks saying we're in better shape than we were when I got into it, especially considering most of the people we saw, 50% have been in the business more than 20 years of the respondents and a, a significant proportion had been in 11 plus years. They're saying things are better than they were when we got in, which is encouraging. And I I think that's also a message to send out to folks as people are recruiting. We are really optimistic about what's going on. Again, as we mentioned before, I think the industry has to do a better job of not just freighting each other, but finding that new talent and identifying the skills that apply themselves and then this targeting that. Yeah, that is great. And you know what? If we can each do our time in this industry and observe the campground rule of leave it better than we found it, then we will have done okay, won't we? Yes. You know, most of the folks that we run into, they seem to be happy about what they're doing. Uh, these are jobs that have built in business. They're jobs that generally pay well, especially for people who are willing to work hard. They do come along with long hours, but then they're, they're not bad jobs. The other upside too is no two days are ever the same. There is no such thing as boredom. And especially at title agents, they seem to get a satisfaction 
you're involved in, in many cases, is a, just a very monumental day for people. They're buying a house, they're selling a house, they're closing. You're involved in some good moments. And so it's a little different than being at the complaint department at the department store. Most people are happy that they're there. So that's a good thing. It's a big deal. Yeah. This report that we're talking about, you can download it for free through the titlereport.com. And there's a tab at the beginning of the page that says uh, special reports. And you'll see it there right at the top. It'll say voter 2021. And it's a free download. It's great of you guys to make that resource available to everyone. Believe it or not, after everything we talked about, we have really just scratched the surface of what's being reported in the survey. There are so many topics and good quotations and conversation analysis of it. So again, can't encourage everyone enough to go and spot this and also mark your calendar. This should be annual required reading as far as everyone's concerned. So we hope you enjoy it. Mark, thank you so much again for going and getting us this good information and data to study. And thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy being your guest. Thanks again for joining us today. I hope you grab your copy of The Voice of the Title Agent. We'd love to hear from you about anything in the survey you'd like to hear more about or have questions about. Until next time, keep your customers safe and happy. Do something nice for yourself today. And remember, I'm a fan of what you do because what you do really matters.